So just uh, looking firstly at the pure subject of the gospel, um, the first thing that always used to come into my mind was when I was uh, growing up in the Church of God up in Scotland, in Kirkintilloch, um, the gospel meeting was the Sunday evening meeting. And that was where we preached about salvation. That was where we invited people that we called strangers. We don't call them that anymore. Where unsaved people were invited to come and to hear the good news, the gospel. The gospel was preached. And then through the week, we would have ministry meetings. And that was for those who were already saved. That was for people who were getting deeper into the word of God and wanted to know the will of God in their lives. And it, the way I was brought up in that was that these were two separate things. Um, one for one group of people and then another for another group of people, non-Christians and Christians. But actually that's not what the scriptures teach at all. The, the good news that comes with the name of the gospel is something that can be very simple, but equally can be very, very deep. We take, when I was uh, learning at Sunday school, one of the, the favorite verses that we were all taught to learn from as soon as we could stand up <coughs> and speak was, of course, John 3 and 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That was ingrained in us. And that, to me, was the gospel. When you look at that verse and you think, what a simple verse. Even a child can understand it because I got saved through being taught that verse. And many of you will relate to that and will, or at least know of people who were saved through that verse. It's a simple verse. It's easy to understand. Or is it? When we look at the gospel and its ministry today, when I got older and began to realize that in gospel meetings, what did you speak about when there was nobody unsaved there? You used to feel that that was a waste of time. What was the point of a gospel meeting? What was the point of preaching the gospel? If everybody was already saved, if everybody was already knew they were going to heaven. And so I, what I was then told, well, you can minister the gospel. And that was a new concept to me. I thought, well, what does that mean? How do you minister the gospel? And very simply, if you just take John 3.16 and you just break it down and start asking yourself the question that says, for God so loved. What does that mean? Who is God? How does God love? How does he show his love? How does he manifest his love? How does that look? What does that look like in my life? What do I know about that? He loved the world. Who's the world? How can you love the world? Is that possible? Do we love the world? No, I don't know the world. So God loved the world. And suddenly the magnitude of God sort of develops in your mind. Who is God? How can he love the world? 
he gave. He's a God who gave his only begotten son, the only son he had, a son that he loved with a depth of love that we just can't appreciate. And when you start going into that verse and appreciating these little things, suddenly the gospel becomes a bit more complicated or certainly becomes much deeper. I shouldn't say complicated because it, God has given us his word and he has given us that verse and he has revealed things to us that even a child can understand. You remember in, in Luke 10 where we got uh, that story about the Lord Jesus sending out 70 disciples to go out two by two and to teach and to preach and to minister on his behalf. And he was, when they came back, he was full of joy and he spoke about the great joy and he spoke about it to his father that he was so pleased that his father had revealed these things these things, the gospel, these things, the good news, these things of God, he had revealed them to child, to children, not to the wise and the learned. And so you begin to realize that the gospel was something that although it is simple and in, in, in the manner in which we can believe it, even we as children, even we who are uneducated, even we who are not learned, we can see and understand in its simplest form that God loves us and he sent his son to die for us and even a little child can accept that. But when we get older and when the Holy Spirit works within us, we get a deeper revelation. And that allows us to grow spiritually in understanding as we get to know God a little bit more. I want to read a, another uh, well-known passage, which is uh, Matthew 28. If you want to look it up, by all means, I'll, if not, I'll just read it to you. It's just the known as the Great Commission, which again, well known to you all, I'm sure. I'll just read it. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That, I just want to go through that commission this afternoon, just to bring out what I hope will be the ministry of the gospel, because as you know, this was the point just before Jesus was going back home. This was the point 
when he was giving instructions to these 11 disciples that as he was leaving, he wanted them to do something. He had a commission for them. He had a responsibility for them. And he wanted them to fulfill this. This was his wish. We read this today. This was not just for the 11, of course. This is for all disciples of the Lord Jesus. So I broke this down just into seven. Um, we've heard the seven steps of discipleship. Call us the seven steps of the commission. The very first thing the Lord had asked of those 11 disciples was that they were to go where he told them to go. That's how it starts in verse 16. When he says, the 11 disciples, they went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And you think, what, how significant is that when it comes to a commission, when it comes to a responsibility? And right away, you get the command of the Lord Jesus teaching us to listen to him, to be ready and be prepared and to be willing so that's if the Lord is saying to each one of us, not just to these 11 disciples, but to each one of us, I have a commission for you. I have saved you for a purpose. You've heard that so many times, haven't you, recently? You, we've been saved for a purpose. Go to Galilee, to this mountain, and wait there, because I've got something to tell you. And what is he telling us 2,000 years later, is he saying, I sent my son to die for you. You've accepted him as your savior. Now you want to be my disciple. Now just wait on me. I'm going to tell you what I want you to do. We need to have a heart and a mind that's open to that. That our salvation is not great. I've got a ticket to heaven. Let's go on with life. The point is, it's going back to John 3.16 and getting into the depths of it and realizing who is God and what is this love like? And did he really love me that deeply? How can I respond? What is it he wants me to do? How do I respond to this commission? What has he got? What has he got for me? Who am I? We'll talk about that a little bit later because just initially, these 11 disciples, they were nothing special. They were not greatly educated men. They were not people who had gone through uh, a high education and great teaching, and they hadn't been given um, great gifts at that stage. They were just ordinary men. And I should say ordinary woman, not the 11. <laughs> there were other disciples, which included women, who equally were called and equally had responsibilities. But the first point I just want to make is he told them to go somewhere. Why did they go to, why up to uh, Galilee? Why all that way to that particular mountain? Because he had a purpose. And we don't question the purposes of God. We just fulfill them. We just say, yes, Lord, because he always knows best. We might ask him to explain things to us, but we don't argue with him. The second thing was that when they got there and the Lord appeared to them, the first thing they did was worship. 
that was significant. Because when it comes to doing anything for God, it's a recognition that we need to, first of all, know who God is. We need to appreciate him. And we need to come to him empty of self. We need to realize that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to come and to give to God first. One of the reasons I believe why the remembrance was on the first day of the week, and I believe was probably in the first century very early in the morning, because a Sunday morning was a working day for most of these early Christians. And they would have got up early on a new, on the first day of the week, having to go out to work. But first of all, they would have gathered together to remember the Lord Jesus. They would have gathered to worship. There were instances also in the time when the Lord was dealing with Israel that they were gathered together. That You read that they gave to God in their sacrifices. And after that, it says that the song of the Lord then began. So any outworking, any uh, appreciation and uh, enjoyment of a festival was after God had had his portion. It's important to remember that. And when we come to a commission, is that we respond to the will of God and we give worship. The third thing was, you read that some doubted. You wonder, why do we put that in? Why have I put that in as one of the seven steps? <laughs> I, it struck me, actually, that it's only mentioned they doubted, and immediately after it, the Lord then just says, here's what I want you to do. So he accepted their doubt. He knew they would doubt. And he knows the same with us. Is there any of us here who have never doubted? You read about in, in Mark, you know, that uh, in Mark 16, where it gives a bit more detail uh, of this particular instance, when it says that he chastised them for not believing that the information that had been given to those that he'd appeared to, that when they came and told the disciples, we've seen the Lord, they didn't believe them. And they doubted. But when you think about it, that's kind of natural. I mean, if somebody came to you and said, I've just seen so-and-so, he died, he, he died three days ago, but I saw him walking down the road. You'd have the same reaction. Even although, of course, in this case, the Lord Jesus had predicted it. The scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures had informed about this, but it was something that was very hard to appreciate, very hard to take in. And I, what I just wanted to pick out on this was, uh, don't worry about doubts. The Lord expects you to have doubts. But what he does is he expects you to deal with them. And he can still use you. Don't, don't dismiss because you're a doubter or because you're questioning things. That should be a motivator to get into the word of God. And if you're doubting something, if somebody has 
been teaching you and you think, where did you get that? Then be a Berean and go and find it for yourself. Have the doubts, but work them out and get the answers. And so I think the Lord was just teaching here. I know you doubt, but I'm still going to use you because I know you can work your way out of this and I'm going to give you the means to do that. The fourth thing was that uh, he said, go in the authority, his authority. All authority has been given to me. And so they were being commissioned to go in the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, you know, being a witness for the Lord Jesus is not an easy thing. There are times when it's frightening. And we've all been there, fearful to speak, fearful to say something in case it might be wrong, fearful of the response you might get because the person you're talking to might have be quite an intelligent person, quite articulate, and they might be able to tie you up in knots and you're frightened to speak. I just thought, you know, when the Lord said, all authority has been given unto me, both in heaven and on earth. Here was the great man, <laughs> the son of man, standing before 11 men who were uneducated, ill-equipped, at that point, just like you and me. But he's saying, I have authority and I'm sending you. I want you to preach. I want you to minister in my name. I have a commission for you. I want you to go. The fifth one is, he says, I want you to make disciples of all the nations. How do we do that? I want you to make disciples of all the nations. What a command that was. 11 men being sent out. You know, when you read through the Acts of the Apostles, it's marvelous just to look at the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God that caused these 11, which became a greater number of 120, and then became thousands as the word rolled out into that small part of the world. And look at it today, 2000 years later, where has the name of the Lord Jesus Christ not been heard? Very few places, maybe. Go and make disciples. That is our com a command from the Lord Jesus, him who has authority to each one of us to realize that our calling is that he has got a purpose for us. Now, that does not mean that we need to stand in a platform and preach. Making disciples can be done in many, many ways. And it's our commission, it's our responsibility to look for those. That's so that we go to Galilee, we go to that mountain, and we wait, and we should be expectantly 
looking for who the Lord is going to bring to us. Who is he going to take us to where we can, even if it's just a quiet conversation over the fence with your neighbor, or whether it's a conversation with one of your family, it doesn't need to be a Billy Graham type preaching from a platform to hundreds or thousands. That was given to some and let them get on with that. Each one of us has got something. And then the sixth thing was teaching them to observe all that I command. All that I commanded you, you teach them. Every one of us can do that. It's being able to have a mind and a heart open to the teaching of Christ. You do that by reading the Bible. You do that by listening to Zooms. <laughs> you do that when there's no pandemic to listening to preachers. You do that when you're discussing together in Bible study in one-to-ones. You learn the commands of the Lord Jesus and you pass it on. You don't keep it to yourself because he's given us a commission as his disciples. And he says, it's all that I commanded. So we don't just teach the salvation aspect. We teach what we sometimes talk of the whole counsel of God. And there you go into the seven steps of discipleship in Acts 2. And there you go in to finding out as the spirit reveals the majesty of Christ and the glorious person of almighty God that you teach others all about that. We're only, we only know a little bit about it, but what you do know, teach it. It's our responsibility. And then lastly, he says, I am with you. I am with you always. So again, it comes back to this fear thing I mentioned. It's frightening. It's frightening to stand up and speak. What a responsibility. What if I get it wrong? And there again, if you've waited on the Lord and he's put it in your heart and you're empty of self and you're looking to only speak the words he gives you, you're powered and powered by the Holy Spirit, then he is with you always, right up to the end of the age. When's the end of the age? In other words, he's always with you. And in these times, these frightening times, it's good to know he's standing by your side and he's prompting you. And it's always good to pray beforehand that you won't say anything that's wrong, that isn't from him. And never be frightened to say to somebody, I don't know, I'll look that up and get back to you, rather than just say something to make yourself look good. It's not our job to look good. It's the opposite. As Paul says, when I am weak, I am strong. I just want to read also just a, bit, a little bit about Paul in Second Corinthians chapter 2. Second Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. 
and it reads, but thanks, I'll read it from verse 12 actually. Now when I went to Troas, this is Paul speaking, to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me. I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? You know, you might look at Paul and think about his upbringing and what an education he had as he sat at the feet of Galliel, the great teacher, as he Saul of Tarsus would have known the Old Testament inside out. He had such an education, a Hebrew of Hebrews. And God used him mightily. But when you read about the things that happened to Paul, and as I've just mentioned, when he was able to say that when I am weak, I am strong, he learned that all of that knowledge and all of the upbringing he had was of little importance compared to the being filled with the Holy Spirit and being able to respond to the call of God. I was just reading in a, uh, somebody's account who was re recalling um, Paul's experiences of how he, the number of times he had been whipped and beaten and shipwrecked and you think to yourself you know for somebody who had offered himself to the Lord somebody who has become a disciple in his case an apostle why did the Lord teach him like that why did the Lord treat him like that you know find yourself sometimes saying that you know I'm a Christian that I've I've given myself to the Lord and yet yeah, I got made redundant or I, I never have enough money or I don't got always something going wrong and it, it's not fair. You read about Paul, you get a deeper appreciation of the, what the Lord taught Paul, a great man who could have been in a very high position and probably extremely wealthy because of the his education and his position, he gave it up because he realized it was nothing in comparison to his salvation. Absolutely nothing. It was nothing in comparison with what was going to become of him in the future after he died. He focused on eternity and that was what motivated him. He loved that. It was something that when he was able to say who is equal to the task, none of us are equal to the task. 
Not even Paul, if you want to look at him in worldly terms and say, look at his education, look at his uh, conversion <laughs> and think he's way above me. He wasn't equal to the task. The ability was given to him by the Lord because the Lord called him and the Lord used him. And the Lord used his education, but that wasn't important. If I hadn't been Paul, it would be somebody else. He had a purpose as he has for you and me. And so the gospel and its ministry, it's a recognition of that when Peter was, was preaching at the day of Pentecost, he talked about the Lord Jesus as somebody who was Christ and he was Lord. He is Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the one who has given us the good news, but he is Lord. It's up to us to recognize the fact and acknowledge him as Lord in our lives and give ourselves to teaching and to ministry and to proclaiming the good news of the gospel. The gospel and its ministry is how are we going to get the news out there? How are we going to live our lives in service for the Lord? It doesn't, it means that we don't stay silent. We don't stay in our houses and keep to ourselves. We have a responsibility. We have a commission. I've gone away over my time. I'll leave it there. Uh, that's the end of our uh, group of our series um, on this subject and um, hopefully you've enjoyed them and uh, got something out of them and as really for those of us who have been speaking all that we really hope is that whets your appetite <laughs> to search the scriptures and to look at these things for yourself um, as Paul could sit, could learn when he asked for his uh, thorn in the flesh to be removed the lord or god in heaven said to him my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in weakness so these were these are things that we can take away with us is that the grace of the lord jesus christ is sufficient for us in all that we do and his power is made perfect in our weakness, so we have no excuse. Thank you.